Hello, I'm Anna Lively, host of the Speak Up Sports podcast. I hope you all are enjoying the sports seasons that are going on right now. I'm so excited that MLB baseball is finally back. I just want to thank all of you for tuning in to season three of the Speak Up Sports podcast. I can't believe we are already at the season three finale. Well, joining me on this season's final episode is softball Olympic bronze medalist and ESPN broadcaster Danielle Lorry. Danielle pitched for Team Canada in the Tokyo Olympics and is currently commentating on college softball for ESPN. Today, we are going to be talking about how she got into pitching, her Olympic experiences, her broadcasting career, and so much more. Please don't forget to continue to share this podcast with other sports fans out there. Thanks again for listening to Season 3. Here is the last episode. Well, welcome back to the Speak Up Sports podcast. I'm Anna Liably, and this week on the podcast, I am joined with a softball Olympic bronze medalist, Danielle Laurie. Thank you so much, Danielle, for joining me today. Yes, finally, our paths crossed. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So growing up in British Columbia in Canada, how and when did you get into playing softball? Um, I mean, I started out playing a bunch of different sports really young. Like I played soccer, basketball. I started out actually playing baseball. Um, and that was probably from the age of like five on. Then I switched over to softball after I I was cut from the little league all-star team, the boys team. And sorry, I'm tired. Um, so I got cut. I got cut from the little league all-star team and I remember being one of the best players on the team. So it simply wasn't because I wasn't good enough. It was just, I was the only girl in the league and they didn't like it and they found a way to get rid of me and it worked, but it also pushed me into softball. And I remember the hard conversation with my dad and him just mentioning like, in all reality, like you're not going to play MLB baseball, you know, like, So let's put you in something where you could potentially, you know, do whatever you want with it. And here I am now. (laughs) Hey, that's awesome. And it seems like you turned that hard thing into a positive thing, which ended up getting you to where you are with your softball. But when did you want, when did you know you wanted to be a pitcher? Um, I started to pitch kind of right away. And I remember playing on this rec team, which was not good. And I still remember the coach's name. Her name was Debbie and her daughter, Lindsay was on the team. And I was trying to learn how to pitch and wanted to pitch in games. And it was one of those situations way back in the day where like the coach is always playing their kid. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was honestly a lot of behind the scenes work that first year of just like working with my dad and practicing and like, having zero like figure to look up to with it so it was just kind of like practicing stuff in the backyard and then finally when I I ended up playing on the Langley Rebels um and Rusty was my one of my first coaches who actually kind of took a chance on me and helped me develop and that was probably maybe around 11 or 12 when I started to kind of get pretty good at pitching to the point where I was like huh I'm like striking a lot of people out like this is a lot of fun And this is something I want to continue to keep like feeling. Well, that's awesome. And it's great that you, you know, were willing and you put in all that work behind the scenes that nobody saw, but 
that's what got you to that point where you started to become that strong pitcher and then had an amazing college season a career first off as a player for the Washington Huskies. You are a two-time national player of the year, which the, you're the only UW athlete to take home this award twice in, in one single sport in the school history, which is amazing. And then you rank in the top on the leaderboards for any NCAA pitchers in all the categories you could think of, strikeouts, wins, strikeout ratio, and perfect games. What do you feel attributed to all of your success during your collegiate career? Um, you know, honestly, like I went to the Olympics in 2008 and took a, a year off of college. And like my freshman, sophomore year, I was pretty good, right? Like the foundation had already been built for like what I knew as an athlete to make me successful. But what I didn't understand back then was that like, it's more than pure talent that takes you to that next level of competing at the highest level. And that's like that mental performance game, right? And I had got humbled so much that 2008 Olympic year. Um, I was 20 years old, majority of the year, freshly 21 at the Beijing Olympics, like, which is really crazy to do two Olympics at 21 and 34 with different, you know, life experiences. But I don't think if it wasn't for that 2008 Olympic year of just the, the hardcore ups and downs and sacrifices, I would not have turned into the player that I was my junior senior year where we ended up winning in 2009, the year after the Olympics. Um, There's a lot of things that attribute to like the success at times of a pitcher, right? And at times, like all the other players on the team don't get as much credit because the pitchers are the ones that are in the circle. But it's like, mm -hmm. I am not the player that I was if it wasn't for, you know, my teammates and the ones that we're grinding with. And right. it takes a personal sacrifice. Don't get me wrong if you want to be great. Um, but I mean, it was my teammates that continued to kind of help push me and get me better. And one thing I will always say, like when all that stuff was going on back at Washington and the success of us winning and the back-to-back -back player of the year, like I never liked talking about it. I didn't like talking about it with my teammates because I never wanted anything to be about me. I wanted it to always be about the team. And now I'm in a place where I'm retired and I can fully talk about how cool it was to get recognized for those things. But when I was in the moment, that was never, ever something that I, I wanted it to be about me. I wanted it to be about the team because without the team, there's no me. And um, the mental game is truly what allowed for me to take my game to the next level. Like being able to work with a mental performance coach and put in that work took me from good to great. Um, and I wish that I would have learned that earlier. Well, that's awesome. That's such great advice. And first off, I really enjoyed hearing about like you growing a mental game wise but also like you kept bringing up the importance of it being about the team not just about yourself even though you know the pitcher is a huge part of the success of the team but the importance of it being for the team not just for you and so yeah. going off that a little bit like what was it like getting to compete in the women's college world series with your team and winning that one and only national championship for washington yeah I mean, it is, it's special. Like you can't, you can like close your eyes and remember how cool that last pitch thrown was. And almost like, you know, I felt this when we won the bronze medal game and when I had both my kids, but it's just this moment of like, 
stillness in the world where like nothing else matters, but this moment in time, almost as if everything else was on pause. And it was really, really special. Um, not only being a part of history with Washington, like we had, you know, Washington had knocked at the door and had played in national championships before, but were never able to actually win it. So to be able to do it with Coach Tar as our head coach and um, the women that we were doing it with, I was lucky to be out there with Jen who played on the Olympic team with me in 08. Like mm -hmm. there were some special people that you can look to your left and look to your right and know that, you know, you, you did everything in your power to put you in the position to, to fight for a national championship. You know, it, it's funny because on Thursday, and I said this on the broadcast the other day when I was calling from home, like it doesn't matter if you've been to the World Series three times or if you're going to the World Series for the first time. That Thursday day game or night game, whatever it is, the opening game of the World Series is like the best and like worst feeling all in one, right? Because you control your destiny. If you lose game one, you're pretty much screwed. But it's like this nervous, anxious, crazy, everything you've worked for as a kid leading up to this point for this experience. And it takes a special mental, you know, whatever you got going on in your dome to be able to like quiet all that noise and just like take it in. And everyone's nervous game one, right? Just because it's, right. <laughs> the media puts such an emphasis on it and it's the biggest tournament besides an Olympic games for women in sport, right? Like. Yes. I mean, it's a huge thing. I mean, as a high school softball player myself, that's something I look forward to the whole year because like now I can watch college softball currently, but the World Series is that's the place you be to be. I mean, hundreds of D1 teams are working towards that the entire season and to end up there is that's the best place to be to end the season. Yeah. And to be that last team standing, it takes so much, man. It's not always the most talented team that wins it. Sometimes mm -hmm. you need a little luck. Sometimes, you know, you got to grind through and go through some hard times. Like our team wasn't perfect that year. We didn't win every game. We lost a lot of games and we had those hard, you know, through the trenches moments where you're just like feeling it like, wow, are, like, are we going to be able to keep doing this? But I think you need to have leaders on your team that are able to keep the team above the line. And with Canada, we always say that, like, we want to stay above the line. Like, are you helping the team get better or are you continuing to pull down and stay below the line and pulling everyone else down there? And that was something that our team with Washington just did so well. Um, it's crazy to think it was so long ago. Um, but it's a big part as to why I wanted to live in Seattle and raise my little girls close to the university because to me that's home it feels like and to be able to take them into a locker room into games and be empowered by you know crazy athletes females to boot it's just special that's awesome and I just love that you guys were able to battle through that grit and determination during that 2008 season to take home the title and uh I just want to sort of like take you back a little bit, but like when you watch it on replay or watch it back, like what goes through your mind? Like, what's it like getting to watch it versus like what you remember of playing in that moment? You know, it's crazy because I will sit back and watch and be like, you couldn't pay me to go back and do that again. Cause it was <laughs> the hardest year of my life. I mean, I threw looking back on my stats, like, I think 352 innings that year. Oh my goodness. My record was like 42 and God, maybe seven. 
42 and nine with like over 500 strikeouts. Like that's incredible. (laughs) What people don't understand is that there was this extreme amount of pressure that I felt day in and day out. Like I was pretty much the only pitcher on the team. Our other pitcher left before the season started. And then we had two high school pitchers that didn't get recruited as pitchers. So for the most part, if we were throwing those other pitchers, it was because we knew we were either going to throw the game or we were going to hope that we were going to be able to get something together. But when I was on the mound, it was always like, if I pitch bad, we're going to lose. And that is a hard thing to like day in and day out, game after game, inning after inning, constantly be in your mind, especially at like 21, 22 years old. Cause I was a little older having that Olympic year. Um, it was very, very hard, probably the hardest year of my life, but the best year because I put in the work to allow for whatever was going to happen to happen. Um, now the game has changed so much where teams pitch a lot more by committee and a, a couple arms on staff, but I will say there was so much behind the scenes stuff of pressure and mindset and just hard days, more hard days than, than good days but it allows for those moments throughout that year. Like I look back at that regional where we played UMass and it was a 15 inning game and we played seven innings before that. So it's like, I had thrown, you know, probably close to eight hours on the day, five and a half in the 15 inning game and over 300 pitches thrown on the day. And it's like, I think about like going back to that and how much I really had to just stay present with what I was doing. And remembering like how much I'd worked to allow for me to continue to keep going. Cause it's so hard as a pitcher to like, Oh, they're not scoring me runs. Oh, this isn't happening. And then you're just falling into that trap of it's too hard. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like I needed to sit back and remember how much I had worked to allow for me to be in that situation. And at the end of the day, it's who gives up first. And to me, who chooses to give up first is usually the ones that are not as mentally tough. And I knew I had done everything in my power that 09 year and that Olympic year and in my life playing as an athlete to not listen to that little voice in my head to tell me that it was too hard and that I should give up. Um, well, I love that mindset there, but also just like that you were a warrior that whole season. You just kept pushing and pushing because you were that rock for the team that ended up at the, at the top, but obviously it wasn't easy. And you've talked a little bit about the mental game earlier, but also the pressure So the mental game you talked about, you found a little bit later on after you started softball, Mm -hmm. how do you feel it helped you, but also during all those pressure situations that you did face as a pitcher? Yeah. Like the one thing, like I work with a guy named Ken Revisa um, and he passed away five or six years ago, but he had worked with a ton of MLB teams. And if you haven't read his book, you should, he has a book out called heads up baseball. And it it was an experience exceptional read for me, but I had the opportunity to work with him with Washington and then work with him with team Canada. And it was humbling for him to sit me down and have this hard conversation of like, you're really good, but you're not great. And in order for you to be great, like we need to start like figuring out what your routine is, what your breath is, what are you saying to yourself? Like all of these different things that at times I just wanted the ball and I wanted to pitch. I didn't know how to break the game down. I didn't know how to control my heart rate and pressure. Like a lot of times when the pressure is thick, we want to speed the game up, right? Like, okay, give me the ball Mm -hmm. back, step in the batter's box right away, or just throw up a shot. But 
in all reality, like in order to deal with pressure, it's like, I have to take a breath. I have to be calm. I have to be able to just like own my job, which is how hard I choose to work in practice is what allows for me in those moments of pressure to remember how hard I've worked. And that's the constant like routine and just recognizing what your body's doing. And I am not the same player if Ken and I did not cross paths because I've always been extremely talented on the field. Um, but he almost added this extra gear and level of competitiveness and just more trust with myself because we know that athletes tend to thrive in routine, right? And structure yes. and we're doing the same thing. Um, it allows for us to know that we're checking off those boxes and we feel confident in our abilities. And that's why we say when you get in the batter's box, you have a routine, right? Like you kind of do the same thing every time when you're playing shortstop and you get a ball hit to you and you bloop it or you make an error, like what's your next step? Like, what is the next thing that you're doing? Are you just like, okay, yeah, I'm fine. Are you telling your pitcher I need time out looking at your focal point, like taking a second to take a breath? Um, the last thing we ever want to do is just be like, oh yeah, I'm fine. And not owning what happened. You got to recognize, okay, I made an error, but are now we we say to ourselves like I don't want the ball to come to me how to uh, react to failure yes and it's like the game challenges those that need to be challenged a lot too right so it's like the game recognizes if you need to take ownership it's going to come right back to you so it's just it, it it's funny how everything all works its course and even though I put in the amount of work that I did mentally to get me to where I was at I still struggled in the game like it humbles you more than anything but that's also the beauty of sport, right? And that's why we yes. plan. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I love everything you talked about there. And you, I totally agree with you with the mental game because it helps so much. And I love that you recognized and the coach told you there, Ken, that like you're great. I mean, you're pretty good. You're good, but you're not great yet until you get that mental side of it. But now that you, you had that piece then to, to, fully finish that puzzle there and I know the mental games helped me a lot in the last two years and so you talked a little bit about the routine what what do you like to put in your mental game routine like do you like to have affirmations breathing visualizing what sort of things helped you throughout your career after you started working on the mental game yeah no that's a really good question I was very big on like routine, right? So for the most part, when I knew, knew that I was throwing in the game, like I get up and I kind of would do that like same thing. I'd always have a coffee. I'd always like kind of put on my same type of music. Like I'm someone that like music is such a big part of my life. So for me, it's like, I can throw on music that I remember listening to as a kid and with my mom and dad or on camping trips. And being able to like listen to those things just kind of allows for me to be like calm, cool, and collected. Um, I think when I get to the ballpark, I'm someone that definitely likes to run. So I would go and run foul poles usually before games and just kind of get the blood flowing and like put my headphones on and just say like good things. Like, dude, let's go. Nobody better. Like what we choose to say to ourselves matters because at the end of the day, we are the only ones that have our own back right? Absolutely. Like we have control over is that. So it's like, I was constantly telling myself there's nobody better. Um, when I'm in the game, I'm very much like get the ball back, turn to my left, connect with my athletes. Like I connect with my shortstop. I connect with, no, leave it there. I connect with my first baseman 
And those were kind of always my people that I made sure that I locked eyes with, but literally before every single pitch, like you see me get the ball back and like take a really big deep breath. And that was the one thing for me that like, I really needed to make sure I did every single pitch because to me, like pitching at your calmest state is like taking that breath, allowing your shoulders to go up to down and feeling it. And when you talk about visualization, like that starts the night before, right? Like I would go through, I vividly remember like us playing Florida in the national championship and the night before number one, barely sleeping because I was like, holy crap. Like, I can't believe we're playing in the national championship game tomorrow. But like so many emotions like go into it because you're like, you don't want to fail, but you also need to remember how great you are. So it's this like crazy dynamic of both. So for me, I just remember laying in bed for hours on end, like going through Florida's lineup, seeing me throw great pitches, seeing me like, cause we'd played them earlier in the season, um, seeing me throw my change up, getting my curveball, busting the lefties in, like seeing myself be successful before it happened. And that's something that I still to this day until I hung up my cleats with the Olympics, like I did the same thing and just close your eyes for a couple minutes and go through a lineup in your head and seeing yourself throw a pitch before you do it. And when I talk about that, it's like when I'm in softball games and the catcher's calling the game, coaches don't call pitches for me. Like I already know what I want to throw before the catcher calls it. So if I'm at an O2 count, I just threw back-to-back curveballs. I'm O2. Like I already know, okay, I want to go rise up and in. I've already seen that pitch in my head. I've already seen the, where I want it to move on the hitter. And I visualize that like within a five second span after I throw the pitch. So the visualization never really goes away. It's just quicker, like getting to that point. But if you don't see it, you can't believe it. And we have to see it before anybody else does. Yeah, I I love that. Uh, Everything you talked about there, just the importance of everything regarding the mental game routine. And you talked about you using it at the highest level. I mean, the national championship uh, down to the wire, that game, you know, when you'll be a national champion. And I just think it's so cool that you talked about the importance of the visualizing, but being able to do that uh, the night before, but also during the game, even when you were throwing the different pitches and just using that. And so how do you feel you were able to use the mental game to help you during like failure recovery in softball? Owning the fact that it is a game of failure. And when my backup is, if my back is against the wall, there's nobody better. And some of my most humbling moments were when I did fail because that made me realize like, number one, I, I haven't made it. I'm not as good as I think I am. But number two, this is when I have to continue to keep putting hay in the barn. Like my routine never changed win or loss. I still would get up the next day and connect with my pitching coach and talk with glass. And I would run always after a weekend on Monday, Monday would be my hardest day. Um, because I just felt like there's nothing like worse than being humbled on national television, right? Like that's happened to me so many times, but I think, okay, fine. Take it and go, please. I think what I realized was that like, if I let one loss completely dictate like how the rest of the season goes, like what the hell was all the work put in and Hey, put in up to this point, like, Mm -hmm. And not to mention that, like, I didn't ask to be a leader. Like, that's never been something where it's like, I want to be a leader. Like, I want to be a captain. And I'm, I'm not saying that I was the captains of those teams. 
But when you think of successful softball teams, your pitcher needs to be fearless. Your pitcher mm-hmm. needs to be somebody that like, you can't tell whether they're up or down. And I'm definitely someone that likes to bring a lot of heart and passion and like strikeouts and fist pumps. And I get a little angry when someone gets a hit off me and all of those things, but I take such a responsibility and the team always knowing that I was okay. Um, which also doesn't help on the, the mental game because sometimes when you're not okay, you need to let people know that. And at Washington, I never did. But what I did learn was this last Olympic run over the last four years was that there was plenty of times when I was not in a good headspace, whether it was being away from my, my children or my body hurting to the level that it did. Like there was multiple times where I had to be open and vulnerable with the team, even though they are still looking at me as being someone that can have the ball in the last game to help win a medal, whatever it may be. But showing people your colors and showing your vulnerability doesn't take away from what you bring. It only adds value to what you bring to that team because it allows for you to break down who you are and show them really who you are. And so it was cool to have two different experiences at Washington being that stoic leader that always had to kind of like have it together because I was the only one throwing. And then this Olympic team being able to be my authentic self and tell them I'm struggling and that I need help. And um, so it was really cool to end my career on my own terms and how I felt and being open and honest. I felt very lucky um, to be in that position. Well, I love all that you talked about there, just like the importance of being able to bounce back after that failure, if it's a loss or if it's a bad play, because you have to be able to get back up and do the next play because you're going to always fail and have those moments that you have to get through to make you a better person overall. But also you talking about having that good energy and like constant as a leader for your team, but then also being able to be vulnerable because there's nothing wrong with sharing how you feel. I mean, it can help you. It can help others knowing that other people are willing to talk about these things. So, you know, it's a great way to show that it's okay to share things that, you know, I mean, you don't have to be all right all the time, you know? And so you worked on that throughout your collegiate career, but then, so you did your first Olympics in 2008 while you were in, still in college, but mm-hmm. then you decided to come back to compete in your second Olympic games after becoming a mom. What made you want to come back and compete for Team Canada at the Tokyo Olympics? Um, I remember Michelle Smith, who's a friend of mine, and she's one of the, you know, big time mm-hmm casters with ESPN in the college game. And um, my littlest Audrey was nine months old and we were in Boston and she, she was down for a nap. And I remember watching softball on TV. It was the world cup of softball. And I vividly remember Michelle Smith saying that she was at her best as an athlete when she was 34, 35. And I think in that moment, it just kind of like hit me. Like I was 30 years old. I was married. I had two kids. Like my life was hard. Um, But I also know that like my Olympic experience in 2008 was not overly great. And I didn't have a ton of control over it. And you never have control over it. But the one thing you do is like how you choose to think about things. And so for me, it was like, honestly, it wasn't like, oh, I need to go to the Olympics. Like I didn't make that decision. It was just like, go back and try to see if you can help a team qualify for an Olympic games. And then we'll go from there. Um, and I just remember thinking, you know, I hung up my cleats after I had my oldest Maddie, I had her in 2013. I went back to play for the 2014 season. 
And I didn't get myself in the best position to thrive in the circle. Like right after having a baby, I went back, she was six months old. I didn't understand what my body had just went through and like all of that. So I think this last run for me, it was like the most that I've ever been able to put into the grind as far as like pushing my body to the max, being physically as strong as I've ever been, as conditioned as I possibly can be. And you're challenged as a mother day in and day out on the mental grind, just based on like being the leader of the ship and running a household and being, you know, working with ESPN and trying to juggle all of these things. And at times I got overwhelmed by it, but I also know that like, there's nobody better. And like, yes, yeah, that's really hard, but stuff's really hard for everybody else too. So I cannot make an excuse to not work or go through a bullpen when it's 30 degrees on a Thursday, rainy night. And I have a cage time book from, you know, seven o'clock to eight o'clock. Like there's multiple times where I'd get in the car and I'd have to go throw into a net by myself in the cold in this, you know, facility during COVID that they had to leave the barn door things open because it's the only way they could leave it open. And I'm just driving there knowing like, God, this is going to suck the next hour. But at times most would choose not to do it because it's really hard. Most would choose like, oh, you don't need to do it. Like, but I've always been someone that will never listen to that voice in the back of my head. There's days where like, don't get me wrong. I'll have a moment where I'm like, dude, my body's shot. Like pushing it right now is only going to hurt me. But that voice in the back of your head of not wanting to work to the level that you need to, like, if you listen to that, you're not allowing yourself to be successful. So I'm so proud of myself for just how I was able to keep putting one foot in front of the other and working and working and working towards us trying to be the best team we could be to fight in the Olympics, right? Like you Absolutely. think about it, Anna, like the amount of work that went into five games, hopefully six, it's almost unheard of. Like, and adding an additional COVID year, like, God, Olympians don't get enough credit for already what the grind is, but then you throw in another year of work, lonely work, because it's a pandemic. You want to talk about like being mentally challenged on levels that are almost unhealthy, but you still do it for the better of the team. And you do it because you know that there might be that moment in time where the stars align and you get to be a part of something beautiful but you never have control over that. And I think that's the hardest thing about sport. It's like, you have to be willing to put in the work with zero, you know, end goal. You can't always plan to play in college. You can't plan for a scholarship. You can't plan to be in the world series. You can't plan to be an Olympian. The only thing I can control is how hard I choose to work and hope that it works out in the end. Um, and I learned that at a young age. So I'm, I'm grateful for the parents I had that helped instill that mindset. I think that's so much great advice you just gave there because you had to keep grinding. I mean, you became a mom and you came back all the way out of retirement to compete at the highest level. I mean, it's the Olympics and, you know, adding in that extra COVID year. I mean, I love that you talked about just being mentally strong because obviously it wasn't easy, but not letting that voice in your head tell you to stop or give up because if you let that define who you are, you're never going to reach the success that you could reach your potential because you're not letting yourself 
be the best version of you if you're giving up during the hard times. And so I love that. And all those hard days, day in and day out, the rainy days, the long days, it all paid off because you became an Olympic bronze medalist and you'll always have that medal for the rest of your life. I know. Yeah, I have it. I know that no one's going to get to see it, but I'll show you. Well, that's awesome. When we take our picture at the end, I will post, put it up. That is awesome. Yeah. Hey, you can always keep that with you. But now that you're fully retired, now you're doing more broadcasting for ESPN with the softball, all the college games. So excited to hear you call more games this year. But what do you like most about having the opportunity to comment on the game that you used to play for so long? Oh my gosh. Honestly, it doesn't even feel like a job. Like the prep is the hard stuff, right? Because that's what takes a lot of time. It's like studying for a test. Um, but it is, it's so cool for me, especially getting the chance to have just played recently at the highest level. Like that helped me out so much more as an analyst to just understand the game, to be playing it at the highest level, to know the work that goes into being great. Like all these different things that I just felt very lucky to be back and to be doing, you know, um, when I get to call a softball game, it's almost like I feel what the athletes are feeling because I've lived it and I've done it. And it's just cool that I get to put my two cents out there to the world on, and my opinion on certain things. And at times not everyone likes what I have to say, but at the end of the day, it's like when you truly know that you've lived it and you've done it and you've won at the highest level. Um, I mean, I haven't won an Olympic gold medal, but I won a bronze medal. And when you get to the Olympics, like the work is the same. doesn't matter if it's a gold medal or a bronze medal, or you don't even place, like there's still so much work that goes into it. Um, so I feel so like fortunate to be able to just like let people know how I feel. Um, and I feel like I've definitely gotten better over the years. I used to be very like hardcore and like hard, hard on people. And I've just had to learn like so much more because I've lived it and done it. And I understand stuff a little bit better. I'm older. So it's been kind of cool to see how I've evolved a little bit as an analyst as well, but it is definitely a dream job. And I, hope to be doing it in 10 years. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I love that you talked about, I mean, it doesn't matter. You put in all that work to get that medal and you were one of the best in the entire world and so many millions of people, even billions throughout the entire world can, can never even make the Olympics, let alone place, you know, against yeah. the best in the world. So that's amazing. But just a little bit I wanted to talk about was representation in sports, you know, as females try to continue to grow representation in sports, what do you feel needs to be done to, you know, allow more equality for women to continue their playing careers beyond college, but also to get certain sports like softball in the Olympics every cycle? Gosh, I wish there was an easy thing to just say, like, this is what it is. It, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's it's just continuing to have those public figures, athletes, like amazing people that have that voice that can continue to keep speaking their truth and stuff. And a big, you know, thing for me is just looking at USA soccer, right? With getting the equal pay and having Megan Rapino and Abby Wambach and a lot of these players like speaking their minds. And 
not a lot of people like what they have to say, but at the end of the day, it made change change and it made it happen. And the same thing with softball. It's like, we always have these ups and downs with the leagues, right? It's like, sometimes we have a league and sometimes we don't. And, you know, I, the one thing that I really got to experience that I love was getting to play over in Japan, right? Cause it's, you know what you're getting when you're there, you're getting paid your worth. It's the coolest experience in the world. But it's like thinking about my children, it's like, I want them to have an opportunity to, to play softball after college, if that's what they wanted. If they even play in college, I don't know, but I want little girls to have that opportunity to not only think like, oh, wow, I can go to the Olympics, but like, I don't have to make a decision when I'm 22 years old, 21 years old, graduating college that like, now I have to start the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to go play in a pro league for a couple of years, like you should be able to do that. And I think it's like finding just stability with that, right? Like we've had pro leagues, we've had ups and downs. We've had some teams that have given a lot of money and then they pull out in a couple of years. So it's just putting trust in the sport. And you know, what's crazy is the college game is like the fastest growing sport. Like when you put softball on TV, people watch. Like you look at the world series last year, you look at the St. Pete Clearwater lead invitation. The numbers are there. There, but for some reason, it's like when it translates to the professional game or when a, a woman graduates college, it's almost like they don't exist. Like they're just done. And that's, I think, the most heartbreaking thing, right? It's just like yes. you some of these players, like Amanda Lorenz at Florida, who never won a national championship, who's one of my favorites. And I just remembered the emphasis on Florida and Kelly Barnhill and Amanda Lorenz. And it was my first World Series covering studio and like so much buildup to this team. And then they end up losing and we had them on an onset studio and like Amanda Lorenz is just like bawling her eyes out. And like, I'm emotional on set because in my mind, I'm thinking like, this is the last chance that this young lady is ever going to get to feel this, you know, like this environment, like 15,000, 20,000 people looking at her, watching her play this amazing sport. And I want that for, for that next chapter. I don't have an answer of what it is. I, I wish I, I, I wish I did. I think it's getting the right people that are willing to put money out there. I think it's getting stuff put on TV seasonally where people are able mm-hmm. to tune the softball and watch. And um, I just want to give my little girls like an opportunity to play something at the next level without having to go to another, another country. Well, I think there are a lot of good things you just brought up there. You know, first off, just being able to like give women an opportunity to play their sport after college, because I mean, there's a lot of professional leagues for men that give them that opportunity, but we just need to continue to create that opportunity as we grow quality, like you talked about. And hopefully with the women's pro fast pitch starting this summer hopefully that can continue to grow and we can just continue to grow softball as we can see the viewers I mean the fans are there for college softball I mean it's a game I mean I don't know how you can't like this game of softball at the college level it's amazing just to watch but in person and on tv and with all the commentators let alone at the women's college world series I mean you can't get much better than it honestly I know I'm with you man it's literally something I look forward to every year I'm like I just feel very lucky to be in a position where I can be at that event and just like feel it all and, and see the growth every year and like get to meet fans that watched me play, you know, 12 years ago. Like, I think those are some of the coolest things for me, being able to connect with people that 
watched this game and have seen this game evolve so much. It just truly, it's one of the best tournaments around. I, it's, uh, it, it gives you goosebumps every year, you know? That's awesome. Well, to finish off the interview, I always do with my podcast guests what I call my favorite five questions. So first off, what has been your favorite memory from your whole entire softball career and why? Oh, man. Um, that's very tough to just give like my favorite. <laughs> it's a tie between the bronze medal and the national championship. I can't pick between the two because both of them were uniquely different, but a first for both. First for Canada winning an, an Olympic medal and then first for a university, right? Like so much work went into both. So I got to say it, unfortunately. You can't beat those two. I mean, they're just both amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, the next one is what was your favorite school subject and why? Um, I, back in college, I was really into the communications classes. So I love taking like public speaking, um, Calm 101, like I tried to get a degree in communications, but you needed a three, five GPA to get into it. And it was the most competitive degree at UW at the time. But I just remember thinking like, if I ever were to continue to move on, whether it's media or whatever, these are classes that will help me. And God, the public speaking class was the most nervous I've ever been in my whole entire life, but it taught me how to talk to people, how to talk to a big crowd, like what you need to do to help get you through when your heart's pounding, just different than sports. So I would definitely say like communications, like public speaking for me was the most nervous I've been, but a highlight of something that everyone should do. People have a big fear of public speaking. Yes, I can totally agree with that. But I love the communications classes, all the ones I'm currently taking with at the community college while I'm still in high school. They're the really fun classes that I enjoy taking, but hey, you ended up doing media and public <laughs> speaking and all that with ESPN for commentating. So it sort of came full circle there. Yes, yes, it did. <laughs> awesome. Well, the next one is what would you tell the younger version of Danielle Laurie? I would tell her to continue to keep working to the level you are, but start to put more work into the mental game because that was the difference maker. I wish that I would have learned that younger. Um, and to also be okay with not everyone liking you. If we live in a world um, where people just sometimes don't like you and to continue to chase that of wanting approval or wanting people to like you. Like I learned later in life that like, I cannot control what other people think of me. I can control what I bring to the world and how I choose to treat people there's still going to be people that don't like you. There's still going to be people that don't like what you have to say. Um, so that's why to me, inner circle, smaller circle is the best. I love all of those things you just said there, because I think it's so important. Oftentimes I sometimes struggle with it as well, but trying, you know, please others, but you can only control the controllables. You can't control how people treat you. You can control how you treat them, but you can't control everything that happens. And, you know, that's part of life, you know, yeah. All right. So if you had an off day and you could plan your ideal day, how do you think you would spend it? Oh, wow. An off day. Um, gosh, in a nutshell, if I could fly somewhere where the sun is and I could be on a beach with my kids, I would do that. Like 
to me, being able to watch a sunset, like I just went to Hawaii a couple of weeks ago with some girlfriends. And when I say like, it was the most present that I've been in a very long time, it just brought this level of like, all is good in the world. Um, so to me, it's like some salt water, some sunshine, hanging by a beach. I mean, we're kind of far from Hawaii, but it's about a five hour plane ride. Um, anything to me with the water is a game changer. Well, that sounds like a fun day. <laughs> and last but not least, so if people described you in only one word, what do you think it would be and why? Probably fierce. And that's just because that's how I am. And I think sometimes as athletes, you get judged based on how you are when you cross the two lines and not really how you are in the real world because people only see you when you're on the field. And so I remember growing up a lot, like people constantly like, wow, she's just so fierce and competitive. And like, people didn't like me because of that, but that's the best part about sports, right? It's like, you yes. can create this alter ego of whoever the hell you want to be when you cross the lines, because it's such a special, unique feeling. And there's something about like, just being fierce or a beast or whatever it is. But I would probably say like, just like fierce or a competitor even well, those are great I mean you have to bring it every game that you went to and you always you know gave it your best then if you're fierce and going at it game after game so yes. that's a great quality to have so thank you again so much Danielle for coming on the podcast I really enjoy getting to hear not only about your softball journey on the field but the mental game and off the field and what you're doing now with commentating for ESPN with college softball and I can't wait to hear you commentate more and hopefully we can just continue to see the sport grow more and more yes thank you for having me I'm glad that we finally got to connect